12 to 27. As we prepare to hear, hear the gospel and then taste the gospel. And this morning we're going to read about Jesus getting angry. And so if you let that think, sink in, the only perfect person who ever lived, the one who was worthy, got angry. Visibly and publicly angry. And you can tell a lot about a person by what makes them angry because it's telling you what they love, that anger is a good thing when done rightly because this is a perfect anger. Um, so when you look at Jesus as we get ready to read this, I know we tend to be taken aback by an idea that God could be angry at us because we take pride in our ability to just be patient with people who do crazy things. But real love detests what destroys those we love. And that's what Jesus is after this morning. There is something in the temple that he loves dearly. And so let's, let's read about it. This is God's word. It says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus replied to them, Yes. Have you never read, Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. And in the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. <coughs> when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive, if you have faith. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered them, I will also ask you with one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. From where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it from among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And this is God's word. It is true, trustworthy, and given in love. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I, I ask this morning that you would help us see how passionate Jesus is for us. Uh, for us to be known by you and to know you. And so we, may we this morning be moved by his anger, which really is his love uh, for the poor and powerless, for the outsiders, 
for all of us to praise your grace. So I pray this morning you would send your spirit to build us up into your holy temple, a people who you love to dwell with, and that's who you've already declared us to be. So help us to honor our unbelief, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We should probably just call the pastors that day that Jesus actually showed up at church. Right? I know that's what people pray. God, God come down. And they had their prayer answered. And only he just started throwing people out. So the, the day they wished Jesus didn't come, I suppose. And it's even more amplified because this is right after the triumphal entry. When Jesus got on a donkey and proclaimed to the world that I am God's promised king. He's going to bring about peace to the nations. I'm going to set up God's kingdom. He's no longer ashamed of it. And instead of what everybody expected, which is to march on Herod's palace, he, he walks to the temple. He doesn't go after the evil pagans out there, the bad guys. He goes after the religious establishment. He goes after the insiders. And... He's, he is leading a revolution, but it's not the one anyone expected. And so where he gets angry is not at the wicked pagans outside, but at those who appear good on the, on the outside in the temple at church. And if you remember, he gets violently angry. This is a guy, I mean, I'm, 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 not, I'm a passionate guy sometimes, but you know, picture Jesus, meek and mild, flipping tables over with a... John tells us he had a cord of ropes that he was chasing grown men out like a lion tamer, right? He was cracking a whip. He had fire in his eyes. He was angry. And so this morning we got to ask, what is Jesus so passionate about? What is he angry about? What is he so zealous for? When he comes to the temple, he shows up at church, what is he expecting to see and upset that isn't happening? Because it's, it's going to turn into good news for us. But, but to answer that question, I can, we can start with just another story from the Old Testament. Right? Jesus comes to the temple, and the Gentiles are kicked out. But in, in the Old Testament, Jesus' great, I don't know how many greats, but his grandfather David, right, his ancestor, he was the king of Israel who's who was the original guy who had the plan for the temple to be built in the first place. David had the idea, I have this beautiful house. It's not right that I have such a beautiful house and God lives in a tent, so let me build him a beautiful house. Let me build him a temple. But for David to get to that point, he had to go through King Saul. You remember? for For those of you, this is a familiar story. David, he basically lived his life on the run because King Saul hated him. And he lived in the wilderness. And one of the interesting things is just the political drama of the day. King Saul was jealous of David, hated him, wanted him dead. But David and Jonathan, Saul's son, they were best friends. Right? So you got the king, who's the father, hates David. Jonathan, the son, who would be king after Saul, loves David so much so that he's willing to give David the throne. And the result of all this political drama ended in a battle. Saul and Jonathan were both killed. And David, at the the end of all this mess, said, Okay, how do I honor the love of my my friend Jonathan? 
Who is there that I can show covenant kindness? Who can I show mercy to? And there, there was one young man in particular. Uh, his name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son. And what's unique about Mephibosheth, we would say he was a child with special needs. He was, he was crippled. He couldn't walk, right. He was lame. And so David determined for the love of his friend Jonathan, he would adopt Mephibosheth into his family, which is an insane thing to do in the political world because you don't adopt your enemy's family into your house, you kill them. Because traditionally, if your enemy has any family left over, they could be potential rivals. They could start a revolution and take over. And so here you have David right, adopting, adopting his enemy. Someone who, who was not whole physically, who didn't deserve to be there, all to show how God works. This is covenant kindness. Right? Mephibosheth was adopted. This is the history. And then when you get to Jesus' day, what's fascinating is, is if Mephibosheth, <laughs> try that word again. This is a mouthful. Mephibosheth, if he were to show up at the temple in Jesus' day, you know what he would be told? I'm glad you're here to worship, but the pastor or the priest would stop him and say, you can't come in. We don't want you to defile God's house. Get off God's lawn. You can ask for mercy outside the gate. God loves you, but you can't come in. And don't get mad at me because these are God's standards. He is holy. You are not. If you're born this way, you must have made him mad at some point. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and give you peace. <laughs> not welcome here. To get your blood pressure up a little bit, I mean, that's really what I'm, I'm hoping you see is when Jesus comes to the temple, he is on the warpath uh, in love to show who is welcome to come into God's house. And he's going to turn and flip upside down all the cultural expectations of the day. Even the blind and lame are welcome. Those whom run the temple kick out. There's something wrong with the temple. He's going to change it. So that's really the question, isn't it? You think about it, Mephibosheth, he comes to church and he's, you know, it's his first time if you were to come to Hope Church and you wonder, what is, it, what is this place like? You know, will God's people accept me? Am I like them at all? Right? Are we the, you know, we go to a new place, you, you look at the, the skin color, or the clothing, I mean, all those things. Are there anybody in the church like me that will talk to me? And you come into the church. And then you say, I wonder if anyone will notice me. And then you flip it around because some of us don't want to be noticed. I hope they won't talk to me too much because <laughs> then it just gets awkward. But either way, when you come to God, you're wondering, is he going to welcome me and will his people welcome me? And that's what this passage is about. Jesus is here to show you who God's temple is for, who can come into God's house. And as a result, how we as God's people should welcome those whom God welcomes. You see that? So, let's look at it. To make sense of Jesus' anger, because he's mad at those who are being kicked out when they should be let in, we need to see, we need to understand the temple. 
And then we can see why Jesus is angry once you see what the temple is. And then we get to see why Jesus came to give us something better than the temple. And uh, so it's three simple things. So, why should you come to the temple? Really, church. I mean, to put a modern spin on it, right? In the Old Testament, the temple was God's house. It's where he lived. And I know that for us this is weird, but in the ancient world, God had a physical address. And Yahweh lived and dwelled with his people in Jerusalem. And the temple, that was the place where heaven and earth intersected. And that's where God came down in one of the, the, the thin place in the world, so to speak. And God came in and people could interact with him. And I know on the one hand, we wonder, well, God is everywhere, right? Yeah, we, we, we teach our kids that. It's in the catechism. But what, what the temple communicated was that God wanted to dwell with his people in a special, particular way where you could interact with his face. This was his home. You know, out, of, out of the entire world, God is everywhere. His attention was focused on a particular place. And he, he in all of his glory and his presence, said, I'm going to live in the temple. So if you were in the ancient world then, if you're in Jerusalem, and you, if you weren't in Jerusalem and say you lived in Greece and you wanted to pray to Yahweh, you wanted to get to know this God, you would, have to, you would either have to aim your prayers at Jerusalem because that's where God is, right? Turn, turn to the, to be the east, or physically travel there to get an even fuller experience of God's presence because the temple was where God lived. That's where you could pursue his face, pursue his blessings. It's where you would pray. Uh, it's where you would go in and see animals killed for the forgiveness of sins, uh, where you would see that God really does want to dwell with people to the point where he's going to pay, offer payment. Right? But really, this is what the temple was. It was God's house. It was you come to God and experience his hospitality even as he teaches you that you need, you need your sin to be dealt with to come, come into me. Right? And so you picture Jerusalem. That's what the temple was. That was the very... Put it this way, Jerusalem was much more about the temple than it was the city itself. They, they estimate that the, the city of Jerusalem was about 25% temple, and the rest of it was just a city gathered around it. So you got that picture in your head. You've got the temple in the center and everybody just living around God's house because he's the center. Right? And so to add to that, what was the purpose of the temple? One, it was for Israel. But when the temple was set up, it was also set up to be a place of hospitality for the nations. Not just one particular people, but a particular people who by faith would be a blessing to the world. So in 1 Kings chapter 8, when the temple was first completed, King Solomon prayed this prayer for foreigners. Just, just let that sink in. People non-Jewish. And Solomon prayed in 1 Kings 8, when a foreigner is not of your people, Israel comes from a far country. Lord, hear his prayer. Here in heaven in your dwelling place and do everything that he asked you to do in order that all the peoples of the earth might know your name and fear you just like us. 
so that they may know that this house that I built was built by your name. So, so basically what Solomon prayed is, Lord, when foreigners, when non-Jews, when the nations, the world, when they, when they come to the temple, welcome them. Hear their prayers. Do for them what you would do for us so that we might be a blessing to the nations. May they know you and your grace, is was, was Solomon's prayer. And so the temple had this multi-ethnic missionary purpose alongside of the ability just to meet with God. And so, just picture it now when you come to Jesus' day. I know this is a lot of history, but it helps fill in the gaps. Right, you have the temple, and here's the setup. Right, the, the blind and lame, they can't come in. They're at the gate. The Gentiles, they, ha they are allowed to come into the, the gardens of the king, so to speak, the court of the Gentiles. The women and children, they could, they could only get so close. I mean, it's kind of like they were led into the foyer of God's house. They, they were a little bit closer than the nations, but not as far in as the men. The men could go and, and get outside the, the holy place so they could see the sacrifices happen. And then even closer to God were the priests. Right? The priests could go in and eat with God at the table. Uh, they, they would do all the sacrifices. They were those who, they could go into God's living room, so to speak. Right? And in, in the holy place, you had the altar of incense. You had a table with bread on it. Uh, you, had, you had an altar. And so all these things were saying, you are welcome here. And so think about it this way. Uh, in the holy place with the altar of incense, it was this sweet fragrance rising to heaven, uh, symbolizing God, our prayers, which stink, uh, being made sweet by grace going into heaven. <laughs> right? it's, it's God, but also just a sign of a lavish host. He wants his, his house to smell nice, to welcome us in. And then you have the Holy of Holies, which only once a year could the high priest go in and he had to wash himself obsessively over and over again just to go into God's throne room to see his face, to experience God's presence, to offer a sacrifice for sins. Right. And so you got this picture. I know this is a lot of history and I hope your imagination is still with me. As God wants to dwell with people, all peoples, really, but there's a problem. We can't get all the way in. Right? That, that there's something wrong with us that, that keeps us out because God is holy. That nobody was able to see God's face. I mean, he was, he was there, but you couldn't get all the way in. But you could pray to him. And so the temple was designed to be God's house of prayer for the nations, even as it showed a need for a savior. And so this is the house that Jesus walks into and just starts throwing stuff around. Now why? Because all those who should be welcomed are being rejected. And really, Jesus rejects those who think they are welcomed into God's house. And so this is point number two. 
the, the temple has been corrupted. It's, I'm calling it a gangster paradise because I'm a 90s kid as a song. <laughs> but Jesus calls them it a den of robbers. Right? Because look at it. Jesus goes into the temple, God's house. He says, it's my house. <laughs> He's claiming ownership over God's house. And he gets so mad that the nations are not welcomed in, that the, the blind and lame are not welcomed in, that um, even the children are being mocked and saying, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, that he, he flips, he basically brings judgment to the temple. And so you, you think about it this way, this is the time of the Passover. And the time of the Passover is when the nations would come. Once a year, everybody would come and, re and remember the time of God's grace when he redeemed Israel from slavery in Egypt through the blood of a lamb because they weren't perfect. They needed to be forgiven as well. And there's a brief line in Exodus that says it wasn't just Israel that left because of God's work. It was also many nations who were slaves and set free. But you're in the city of Jerusalem and all these people coming from the world over, and when they come to God's house to pray, right, instead of being welcomed in and having the freedom to pray, they walk into a busy marketplace. Right. It's, hard, it's hard for us to picture, but basically the leadership of the day in the court of the Gentiles said it was okay to set up a currency exchange and to bring all these farm animals who were going to be sacrificed, put them in cages and let people buy them here. Which makes sense. Because if you're traveling from Greece, you don't want to carry a pigeon for a thousand miles or however long it is to get there. It's just easier to buy it in the city. And if you're coming from a foreign country, you need to do currency exchange. And so they said, well, let's just set it up in the court of the Gentiles. It's closer to the temple. But they didn't think about the fact that what that communicates to the outsiders. And so just imagine coming to church and trying to pray with all kind, everybody talking in different languages, bargaining, haggling. You've got lambs bleeding. You've got pigeons making noises, ruffling their feathers. Uh, you've got the smell of manure because they're animals. All in the house of prayer where the Gentiles would be. That's why Jesus is mad. Because those whom he came to save are not even welcome in God's house. He was ticked off because those who God would welcome are being pushed out. He cares about God dwelling with his people. And he calls them robbers. And that is an important word because it's, it's like Jesus is saying, you let the mafia in. Right? These are not just your ordinary business owners. These are guys who are insurrectionists. They're violent bandits. They're all about the money. They're crooks. They're corrupt. They don't care about worship. They don't care about God. They're in it for the buck. Right? So, see why Jesus is upset? He's saying... God dwelling with his people is so important right, that I'm willing to fight for those who are not being let in. Now, what does it teach us? 
Well, one of the things I think it teaches us, and this is important, we're going to come to the table and experience it, is this. Part of the reason the, the religious leaders of the day would push people out is they knew that some people were unclean. And you had to be clean, you had to be perfect, you had to be good, you had to be, you had to be holy as God is holy for him to dwell with you. And that now, on this side of Eden, nobody's perfect. And for anybody to come into God's presence, they had to have their act cleaned up, so to speak. And the way that was symbolized in the temple was this curtain between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. God's throne room was walled off from everybody because we're not good. And it was a picture of Eden. Because you remember, you go back to the Garden of Eden, and when Adam and Eve sinned, God did this weird thing where he, he put a flaming sword to bar access from his presence. And everything in God's house was a picture of Eden. Right? There was a, a candelabra that looked just like a tree. It was a reminder of the tree of life, as well as God's presence. And so, what, what, the te what Jesus is upset about is he, he wants people to come into God's presence to experience his grace. And yet, he, the people who are in charge of this business, all they know what to do is to, to look on the outside. They're concerned about the externals. They, they label some as unclean and not everybody as unclean. And it's, it's humbling. And so picture it this way. Nobody can get into God's presence. That's, the, that's our problem. So imagine your child borrows your car, borrows, <laughs> and your credit card, maxes it out, drives across the country, racking up your debt, and then just disappears off the map, making all kinds of bad decisions for a few years. And then three years later, they come back. They don't knock on the door because they're family. They just come in and sit in your living room and say, hey, what's up, pops? <laughs> what would be your reaction? Right. Clearly, there's a wall there. I mean, you can forgive them, and you can welcome them back into your home, but you've got to talk about that thing that you've been paying for for the last three years, which would be their debt, that they, the destruction they've wrecked and brought to your home. Sin has to be dealt with. There's a curtain. Uh, there's a sword, a barrier, so to speak, blocking us from enjoying God's presence in its fullness. And that is just as true as us religious insiders as it would be true of the religious outsiders. Those physically whole, or those who, who were born from birth with some kind of special need. Right? And so, Jesus' anger is, the temple's just not working. People are able to come in, so to speak, partway. He's mad at those who are, not allowed, who are pushing those out who should be allowed in. But he's also upset about the fact the people just can't experience God's presence the way he can. You see it? And the picture gets worse, and I think this is the level of Jesus' anger. It's because God promised long ago that the nations would be able to come all the way in. Everybody. 
Here's what I want to get your imagination gripped by. Everybody will be able to have the experience of the great high priest with less fear and trembling. Right? Because there are rumors, especially in Zechariah, that God's enemies will be welcomed into his house as priests. Canaanites. Right? Those filthy people that the, the Jews didn't want in, so to speak, they, they were going to be made priests in God's house. Assyrians. Those who, who were the bullies. Ninevites. And even Jerusalem, corrupt Jerusalem. Right, the prompt, Zechariah ends by saying, One day, the day will come when all those special instruments that are holy, that are only used by the priests in God's house, it's going to be used everywhere. They're going to be as common as kitchen pots, which, was God, which is God's way of saying, One day, my temple will fill the entire earth. And all nations, Jew and Gentile, will worship me. <laughs> Everybody will be able to experience the full presence of, of God. And sin will be dealt with. So that's, that's what's happening. Jesus comes to the temple. And he's saying, what God promised is not happening. The temple's not getting it done. There is sin that, even in Jerusalem, the holy place that needs to be dealt with. And so Jesus is mad. And you know what he does? He curses it. And that's what the fig tree is all about. It's the nail in the coffin, so to speak, of the temple to prepare you for something new and better. Because if you look at verse 18, Jesus walks up to a fig tree. And I know it looks bad because he just seems like he just destroys a tree because he's hungry and, and he's hangry. Right? He doesn't get, doesn't get what he's looking for. But there's leaves on it, it looks like there's food, and he gets there and there's nothing and he curses it. And it just shrivels and dies. And, and we want to know, what in the world are you thinking, Jesus? Right, this doesn't see, it seems like what we do when, um, when you stub your toe on something, right? You kick it, you get mad, you say some not kind things about it, or maybe it's just me. Right? What's he doing? And the gospel writers love to do this show you what Jesus did and then not tell you why he did it. But what he does, right, you've got the fig tree in the middle, you've got Jesus the temple first, and he curses the fig tree, and afterwards he goes back to the temple. Right? And so picture it this way. This is a parable. And what Jesus does, he goes to the temple looking for the fruit of faith, people enjoying God's presence, welcoming those God who would welcome, uh, being faithful, being obedient. And he finds none of it. And so he curses it. And by cursing it, he's saying, may no fruit ever come from you again. He's just saying the temple is fruitless. It's not working. It's brutal, but it's a parable of judgment. And so what he's doing, he's saying, I have something better in mind. And this is, this is how we're going to end here. Right? What is better than the temple? And this is where I'm hoping you get excited this morning. Because you look at the disciples, they don't ask why he did it. That's what I would ask. They say, whoa, how did that happen so fast? How did you do it? Where did the power come from? 
And Jesus responds by saying, if you have faith, then do not doubt by meaning, just meaning to trust that God is God, and, right? Don't waver. He said, not only will you do the same thing to the fig tree, but you could say to this mountain, you know, get up and toss it in the sea, and it'll happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive it if you have faith. And what is he doing? He's telling you there's something better than the temple coming. Because, I mean, as I look around the room, I see brothers and sisters in Christ. I haven't seen any of you move mountains. Maybe it's a hidden talent. <laughs> but, that, you know, this is hyperbole. Right? Nor is Jesus saying, you can just ask me for whatever you want and I'll give it to you. You know, that sweet beach house in Florida that you can go to every January. Just ask in faith and he'll bless you. That's not what he's saying. And the key, this is what blew my mind, is someone, someone pointed this out to me. The key is he said, you can look at this particular mountain and tell it to move. What mountain is he looking at? It's the temple. Because they are on the road back to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem sits on a mountain, and the mountain is where God dwells with his people. And so you, you think about that. What Jesus is saying is if you come to God in faith, come to Jesus in faith, you can make the temple move. You can take God's presence with you. Anybody, if you have faith, can say to this mountain, move. You see that? Faith in Christ will make you an even better house of prayer than the Old Testament temple. You have the power to move it. Now how? How is that possible for ordinary sinful, selfish people like us? Well, he has to get rid of the curtain. He has to give us unmediated access to God's throne room. And so what, what he does is he goes to the cross and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he allows the sword of judgment to fall on him so that we might be brought into God's house fully welcome. And when he died, Matthew tells us, the curtain was torn in two, saying sin has been dealt with, judgment has been paid. All nations may now come to God through faith in me and have a, the full presence of God with you. Which means, if you're a Christian, you know who you are? Somebody who can't be more welcome than you already are right now in Christ. You can't get any closer. Right? Because you are declared by God through faith we together are being joined as God's temple. The, the better temple is the church, the body of Christ, where we individually are also called God's temple, but because we're connected to Jesus, the full presence of God, who because of his death and resurrection gives us full access to this God. The sword has been sheathed. You can come in unashamed. The blind and lame can come, come through the gates, run through the house, and burst into God's throne room and get a full embrace from their heavenly Father. The nations, those who were once far off, who were declared God's enemies, they are now declared God's friends, uh, made clean. They can come running in, 
really in front of some of the Jews, <laughs> those who seem closer. I mean, this, this gift of God's welcome, of you being made part of the temple through faith, it's astounding. Saying you right now, God's intention and plan and purpose for you is that you would be a, a missionary multi-ethnic temple <laughs> where you would mediate God's presence to the nations, to the world, because God is with you. So who is church for? This is how I'm going to end. Who is God mad at? God is angry at all those who have not come to faith in Christ. Right? All those who think they can burst into God's house based on their own merits, their own goodness, their own deeds. The sword still stands. But if you come to faith and come to God in Christ, the doors are open wide. And what, what's amazing is if you're going to come to a church, who is welcome here? The answer of the Bible is anybody. It doesn't matter where you're from or what you've done. You can find full forgiveness, a full welcome. You get the declared status of being holy, priests to our God, those whom God loves. So who belongs here? You do. Uh, your friends do, if they would come to faith in Christ. And what, what would make God angry, I think, for us as a church, and this is, this is the warning of the passage and before we take, come to the table, is that when we start to reject those whom God would welcome, and that's really the warning of the text. God says anybody who would come to faith in Christ is welcome in my community. And when we set up unnecessary barriers to people coming to Christ because we're offended by whatever ism you want to come up with, their poverty, that's what Matthew's worried about. Because right? he mentions the pigeons. Only the poor bought pigeons. The rich bought lambs. Right? The poor should have the freedom to get the same welcome that God gives them. The nation should have the same welcome that God has given us. I mean, Paul sums it up beautifully by saying, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you because you are God's temple and so the, the beauty and the good news of that is, is you get to mediate a holy God to a world that is longing for this kind of acceptance an infinite God who looks at the ants and says I want to live with them forever <laughs> what is man oh God that you are mindful of us go and learn what that means let's pray Now, Father, we, we had a lot of history, but I, I pray that as we hear the gospel, uh, that you welcome sinners into your house, uh, and that you cleaned us up by the cross. You would help us believe it. And so I pray you would continue to make Hope Church a welcoming place, a safe place, a refuge, uh, because we are so in awe that you would give us such a powerful ac access and entrance into your presence. So as we get ready for the table, I pray you would, you would come down and be here with us, that we would eat and drink at the table of grace, something the priests of old could, could never imagine. But all of God's people gathered together at God's table. So may we look forward to and long for that day when 
when our faith will be sight. And build up our faith now in Christ's name. Amen.